You're listening to New Spring Radio with Hector Velarde, pastor of Calvary New Spring Church in San Antonio, Texas. But pray. So many times we forget about that. You know, we go to the things that are the norm and we don't pray. We don't, we don't take it to Jesus first, I guess is what I'm saying. The Bible in Philippians 4, 6 is be anxious for nothing. Philippians 4, 6. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And so it's, it's giving him those things. One of the best tools that we have when facing the things of this world is prayer. It's easy to try and think through a situation and find the best logical way out of it. However, when we invite Jesus in through prayer, we can submit another area of our life to His Lordship. In today's message, Pastor Hector will be sharing about the importance of prayer and what it means in a believer's life. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, we can boldly enter the throne room of God and make our requests known. Now, here's Pastor Hector in the book of Mark chapter 1, as he continues his message, Jesus' authority made public. What doctrine is this? What, 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 what is going on that says that they question themselves? You know, what, what is this new doctrine? What is this authority that he has? And you know, it's always like that with Jesus and salvation. We see him transform somebody else's life, and we're amazed. It's like, no way. I can't believe that you're at church. I can't believe that you're saved. We questioned what happened, and somehow we're interested. And I'm going to ask you to keep this curiosity, what's going on here in 27 and 28, in mind, because it's going to tie into our last point. So these people, you gotta, you got to remember, this is where our story ends here at the synagogue, but they're there, they've experienced this, they've heard his teaching, his authority, they've seen what he's done, this miracle, and now they're like, whoa, what is going on here? What is happening? And so that's, that's the first thing, authority over the supernatural. But let's go on to the second division, which is authority over the sick. Verse 29 says, Now as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. So here's the four that I mentioned earlier. Mark is using his action words, notice, to lead us along. He says, now, as soon as they had come out, and it's just, it gives you an idea of we're going from one scene to the next, right? We're, we're leaving the synagogue, and it's like immediately after that, they come out of the synagogue, and they went immediately to Simon in Andrew's house. It's the Sabbath, and if you know about the Sabbath, and the, during the Sabbath, you weren't allowed to do much during that time. It was a day of rest, and so you would do your customary meal right after church. The idea with the Sabbath is that you rested. That was the point that you relaxed. It was not the day to get all of your chores done. It was not the day, although sometimes we treat it as such, but, but it, it was not the day to do all that. It was just you took the day off. Right? And you just, they're, they're going back home. They're more than likely going to eat. But look at what happens when they walk in in verse 30. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with the fever, and they told him about her at once. A couple of things to note here. No, one, notice who's sick. N notice what it says. Peter's mother-in-law. I, I find it interesting 
that instead of saying mother-in-law, it says Simon's wife's mother. It's almost as if there, Luke wants to make sure that we understand that Peter's married, right? And just real quickly, if Peter was the first pope, which I don't think he was, then he was a married pope. You know, he w- it tells you right here, there's no mistaking that God wanted us to know that Peter was a married man. They went into the house, and with the fever was Simon's wife's mother. And I only bring that out not to attack somebody else, because uh, that's not my point. I only bring that out because we need to be careful with substituting tradition with reading your Bible. That often happens. It's like, well, why do you believe that? I don't know. Everybody else believed that. Well, but what does the Bible say? And here's just one of those places, I mean, where you'll see, and we'll point out a few others because later we'll know that Mary had other children. And that's something that also within the Catholic religion they don't believe in. But so are you believing tradition or are you believing Bible? Here it tells us that he was married. But be that as it may, I also want you to notice what they did with the news of the sickness. Look at whom they tell about the fever. Like they find out about it and who do they tell? They tell Jesus. Notice that they did not go to a doctor. They didn't look for the town sage. They didn't find the curandero, you know, which happens a lot in Mexico. They went to Jesus. Why go to Jesus? Oh, well, because they just witnessed that miracle at church. Just a little while ago, they saw Jesus perform a miracle, and they, without a doubt, were still amazed at what had just happened, and it was logical to ask Jesus. I'm sure they're figuring, hey, if he cast out a demon just a little while ago, maybe he can do something about an illness. Now, you got to remember, up to this point, they have not seen this. They have not seen Jesus heal anybody. And so it's, it's just logical. Hey, Jesus, hey, can you do anything? And they ask him, and look what happens. Verse 31, so he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. He healed her instantly. It was a miracle. It was a miracle. Now, we get very few details of what happened, but I don't know about you, but I want to know more. Like, I like the details. What happened? Like, I like to imagine that I'm there. Did, did she, like, get up? Or did she get healed the minute that he touched her hand? Was it, like, at that moment that, that their hands made contact that she got healed? Or did she get healed as he was lifting her up? What was it like? I, I don't know, but I bet it was pretty amazing. You know, to see the the fever leaving this lady's body. Let me just say this. There's nothing wrong with calling the doctor. We we do it often. There's, There's nothing wrong with grabbing the medication. That's what it's there for. There's nothing wrong with searching. You guys probably don't do this, but we do. There's nothing wrong searching Google for answers. You ever done that? The rash on my child, what is it, right? And, and, and we do that, and there's nothing wrong with that, but try and do that after you've prayed. Try and, like, pray first, 
unless the person is not breathing, then you <laughs> and you can pray and call at the same time. You pray, I'm calling, right? But pray. So many times we forget about that. You know, we go to the things that are the norm, and we don't pray. We don't. We don't take it to Jesus first. I guess is what I'm saying. The Bible in Philippians four six is be anxious for nothing. Philippians four six. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And so it's, it's giving him those things by prayer, by supplications. And these guys saw a need, and they made their requests known to Jesus. Jesus, she is extremely ill, and he chose to heal Simon's mother-in-law. Amazing. However... Not everyone we pray for gets healed, right? Not everyone we pray for gets healed, and that truth will play into our last section. Up to this point, Jesus has not only begun to preach and teach, but he is now demonstrating his authority over the supernatural, which he's going to continue to do, but also over the sick, over illness, over disease. And next time we meet, we're going to see him healing somebody who is diseased, a leper. And Jesus is beginning to do this. But finally, we see in our text today that he has an authority over the skeptic. Look with me at verse 32. It's only three more verses. He says, And at evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. Now, remember that I said it was probably about noon? Sometime, I mean, if you want to say it was in the morning, it was in the morning. But we started our day out with Jesus, where? At the synagogue, remember? It's the Sabbath. It's still the Sabbath. And we started out the day with Jesus at the synagogue, and maybe around noon or around there. But here, you need to notice that it's evening. And because it's evening, it's telling us that Shabbat is over. The Sabbath is over, and now they can move around freely. Now they're able to get around. It's an amazing thing when you go to Israel. And my, my prayer, I was, I was talking with Chase yesterday. My, my prayer is that as a church, we can put together a trip to Israel. That would be amazing, like amazing. It just it, it is. But w- when you're there, we, we've had the privilege of being there. And, and when you're there on a fr- in Jerusalem on a Friday at sundown, it is just amazing to see just all the, the people gathering at the Western Wall. I mean, there is thousands probably of men and women gathered and they're dancing and they're, they're just having a blast. That's how they start their Sabbath. And, and, and it's, it's Friday night. They're dancing. They're jumping. They're singing. They're praying. And then they go home. They eat together. But when you wake up Saturday morning, there is nothing going on. I mean, one or two cars, our tour bus, obviously, where tourists were moving about. But they knew, they, they do not, they go to church, they get up in synagogue, they get up and they go to synagogue in the morning, but you just don't, everything's closed. It's closed, it's a time of rest. But here, it's, Shabbat is over. So now, the, now they're able to, to move. And, and I, I subtitled this section, Authority Over the Skeptic, for this reason. And you have to follow me on this. I titled it that because this crowd 
that is now lined up, the majority of them, or, or some of them at the very least, were most likely at the synagogue with Jesus six or seven hours earlier and had experienced what? They had experienced this deal. They, they didn't see what happened in Peter's house because that was in his house, but they did see this demon-possessed man have that spirit come out of him, and they did hear Jesus' authority. They have heard and they have seen the power of this Jesus and now their battle is one within their hearts. What do I mean? For you see, they all have to answer this question. Do I believe what I have seen and heard or is this guy just a kook? Do I believe it? Am I going to be a skeptic or am I going to put my faith in it? They have had, and I need you to know this because it's, the, the time frame is very important. They have had a minimum of six hours to process all that's taking place. But remember, they couldn't go to him. Why? It's Sabbath. You can't get out. You can't go. So they have been sitting at home. Those that were there, those who experienced it, more than likely, those who are bringing now their family, they have had a minimum of six hours to just let all of this process. Was that real? Did that really happen? And then remember I told you there's another force. There's an enemy who would like to lie to you. There's a battle going on. Am I going to be a skeptic? Or am I going to submit? And am I going to believe what I have just seen? They have had an encounter with Jesus and now they had to respond to what they have seen and what they had heard. There are some who come or who will come into this church. And you're going to sit here, you're going to listen online and God is going to speak to your heart and you're just going to know that it was him. I hope that's happened to you where you just know that it's God speaking to you and you're going to go home and then you will be faced with making a decision on whether or not you believe what you have seen and what you have heard. And you have to decide that for yourself. And that is what's going on here in our story. The people have been won over by Jesus' word and by Jesus' deed. And look at what happens in verse 32. They brought to him all who were sick and all who were demon-possessed. They, they seem to believe, at least those who have brought people, in the power and the authority of this man, Jesus. And thus they bring their loved ones to him. Can you imagine having sat in that synagogue that morning. I mean, you're there like you are here. And you sit there and you see what Jesus did with this demon. You see the power in his word and the power in his deed. And in your mind comes your sick cousin. And you're like, man, my cousin has been ill for a long time. Or, or you're sitting there and you remember your friend who's demon-possessed. It seems to me, because there's a large group of demon-possessed people, that this was a very dark and kind of occult area of Capernaum. For some reason, they've let in a lot of stuff, and, and, and Satan is, is roaming around. But can you, remember, can you just imagine thinking, I have a friend who's just like him. But you can't bring him to him, and so you wait hours and you wait hours, and then the time comes when you can now move around, and what do you do? You bring him to Jesus. What they saw and what they heard overcame their skepticism. 
And Jesus had authority over their skepticism. They are here. They are in line to see Jesus. Now, we will quickly find out that not all are going to be healed. Not all. What will they then do with what they have seen and heard? What are they going to do with it? Because some are going to go, some saw, and some came, and some are going to leave without their friend or their loved one or their family member without being healed. I mean, in some cases, Jesus is going to heal all, but in this case, he's not going to. We'll see that. But how many came? Well, I don't know. It says all. They brought all is all, and it had to be many because look at verse 33, and the whole city was gathered together at that door. If it was anywhere around the 1,500 that historians say was the size of Capernaum at the time, can you imagine? I mean, the whole city, to me, tells me the whole city. They were all lined up in line to be healed. Now, I don't know if Luke is an exaggerator. Do you guys know that person? That, you know, it's like a million degrees outside, right? And you know it wasn't a million degrees, but I don't know. I, I don't think he's exaggerating, but everyone in the city was there, and I think we need to go there in our mind. I think this is important. Whether you need to close your eyes or not, just think about being there. You're, you're in line of, in, in front of Peter's house, and you're, you've got your, your person with you, and I begin to think, what, what, what sounds am I hearing? What, what, what it must it have been like? Were, were there people moaning? I think so. Were there people crying? Absolutely. You might have brought your bedridden mother who, who hasn't been outside for months. And you've, you've somehow created her and you've brought her and she's there and she's moaning and she's in pain. Can you, you picture the scene with me? It's wild. How about those demon possessed? Are, are there some that are like frothing at the mouth? Or are there some that are convulsing? I mean, it's just a crazy scene. The best thing I, or the closest thing that I can think of is just maybe an emergency room. Have you been there? Been to an emergency room where there's like a lot, a lot of people sick? And the baby's crying? And, and the guy's holding his arm? Like, I think of the emergency room in Mexico. That's pretty wild. There's people bleeding, like bleeding, and they can't get in. And it was something like that, only like times a thousand, right? Just, I'm exaggerating. But like, <laughs> like, a, like think about that, but like a lot more. There's 1,500 people possibly in line. It's a long line. It's a troubling scene. But there is hope in the faces of those who gather. But look at the last verse. We'll, we'll end here. It says, Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Now, we already know that the demons knew him because of what happened at the synagogue earlier, but I must point out that he healed many, and he cast out many, but why not all? Why not all? I don't know. I think that we can explain this by time and not so much by desire. I think Jesus desired to heal all, everybody. It would seem that Jesus just ran out of time, that he couldn't get to them all. We know that people started lining up at sundown. So what do you like sundown? Should we say six o'clock, seven maybe? So it, it's seven, 
we know if you keep reading that in the morning he wakes up, so we know like he didn't pull an all-nighter, although he could have. But let's say that he, he went till midnight. That's six hours of healing and removing demons from people. I think we can attribute in our story the many being healed, but not all being healed due to time. But what about for us, for those people whom we intercede for and they don't get healed? Why doesn't the Lord heal every person that we bring before him? Why are there there some that seem to go ahead of their time? Why are there some that get healed of bad habits in their life while others don't? Why do I? Why did the Lord deliver me of the things that I was? And yet there's other people who he hasn't. I don't know. It it doesn't tell us. I think those are questions that we have and that can plague our life if we let them. And I say if we let them because the other option is to simply believe in the sovereignty and the omniscience of our God. Sovereignty being that he is complete, that he's supreme, that he is powerful, and that he is the authority and omniscient is that he is just all-knowing. And if he did not heal somebody, if he did not do what we asked him to do, it's because he knows it better than we do. And that's the only way that I, because I just in my life just recently have just experienced a lot of death of people that I love around me. And it's the only way that I can keep going is saying, Lord, it's, it's your sovereignty and your omniscience and I'm just going to stand on that. But here's the thing and the thing that I want to just close with. Remember that Jesus first came preaching and teaching and then miracles began to take place like that's the order first he taught and then miracles the preaching and the teaching address the permanent need while the miracles the temporary ones think about those people who didn't who brought their loved ones but didn't didn't get healed that jesus just ran out of time did they still believe in him or not it doesn't tell us does it but imagine there you got your mother and you just didn't make it and, and, and you know what you saw, but you didn't see it here with your mother. And there you go, carting her back. Were they believing or not? I think some did, while I think others became and continued to be skeptics. And I hope that that's not us. Because sometimes things happen in our life that we cannot explain, that just do not make sense, and we're left with nothing but the why, Lord, questions of life. And that's just the way it is. I don't have answers to it, but I do know that our greatest need is eternal and not temporal. And our skepticism or our doubting of who Christ is can only be broken by a mental shift of temporary to the eternal of just switching that by remembering that Jesus didn't come to heal all and to save many along the way, that Jesus came to save all and at the same time heal many along the way. He came to save all. That you can put your trust in. That you can know is real, that he came to save all from our sin. 
He will not run out of time for that, although the time will run out. But while you still have breath, salvation from sin is available to you in this Jesus' ultimate goal. So maybe some listening today need to make that shift. You maybe perhaps continue to be skeptical because he hasn't done what you think that he should do when you when he already did all that you need. He did it all already. And so if that's you, if you need to make that switch, maybe that needs to be our prayer today as we begin to see Jesus' miracles and the things that he's done. And all we need to do is pray and ask God to help us with that. And so let's do that. The book of Mark is one of four gospel books in the New Testament. It gives you a unique perspective from Mark's writings that may include things the other three books don't. For example, in Mark, it frequently mentions Jesus being on the move. He was intentional during his three years of ministry and didn't waste any time. He was purposeful in what he did. Jesus knew his time was limited before things with the religious leaders would get to a boiling point. So he wanted to reach as many lost people as possible during those years of ministry. Do you sense a limited amount of time to reach people in this day and age? There isn't an endless amount of time before Jesus returns. Many people are lost in the world and need a savior. You could be God's messenger to the people around you. There should be a sense of urgency to tell people about Jesus. At some point, it'll be too late. And that neighbor or friend really needs to know Jesus. We trust this time you spent in the Word today has been fruitful here at New Spring Radio. Our desire is for you to grow in your love and knowledge of God's Word. If you're interested in hearing additional teachings from the book of Mark, feel free to find them at calvarynewspring.com. Just look under the Messages tab. If you'd like to get to know Pastor Hector a little more, you can find information about him on our website too, calvarynewspring.com. That's all the time we have for today's edition. But come back to hear more from Pastor Hector in the book of Mark on New Spring Radio.